Good morning. My name is Sandra Kilgore, and I am a covenant partner here at First Presbyterian Church. I would like to thank Pastor Mitch this morning for having invited me to participate in the reading of the Holy Scriptures today, as I am honored to do so. This morning, we resume our study of Hebrews. God's grace empowers believers to run the race he has marked out for us. We must not give up or harden our hearts. God gives us his word and his people to empower our endurance. Together, we must believe the promises and the provision of the Lord as we move forward in service to Jesus. Now, please join me in the reading of the book of Hebrews 3, 7 to 19. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they wouldn't enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Amen, amen. Gracias, hermana. Greetings, church. Oh, come on. Let's try that again. Greetings, church. Look, if you all do not have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to get one, grab one, look it up on your phone. We're going to have some fun. Sometimes I get accused of being a little bit of a nerd when it comes to exploring and enjoying how all of Scripture comes together and applies to us in this moment. And I'm pretty excited about unpacking this passage. So uh, we're going to look at this uh, beginning with painting a picture of two scenarios. How would you fill in this narrative? What happened? First, it's a person who was once active in their faith, involved in church, excited about Bible study, who all of a sudden is disinterested in their faith, discouraged in life, and disengaged by community. How do you fill in that narrative? Second, second scenario. You know someone, I'm not saying this is you, but you know someone who grumbles about everything. Someone who, even when good things happen, all they have is a little Eeyore personality. Woe is me, I'm just going to eat my thistles. And that there is a generous portion from this person's life of grumbling, especially more than anything, but especially more than gratitude. 
how does a person end up there? The disinterested, the disengaged, the grumbler. How does someone end up in that place? Well, today, this morning, we're going to see how this is a historically common scenario. That the author of Hebrews, as he's encouraging the church, he actually uses Psalm 95 and goes back further to places like Exodus 17 and Numbers 13 and 14 to help us be empowered as a church today. But it's important that we don't just delegate this or relegate it to an ancient historic reality, the wilderness generation, because the truth is every home can identify with the disinterested, the disengaged, the discouraged or disillusioned, the grumbler. And so we all need to hear freshly about the grace of God that we might receive from the Spirit of God soft hearts. And that as we press on in life, we press into the people of God that are running with us. Grace empowers us to run the race of faith. Okay? Now, uh, I want to illustrate this, but first I want to remind you of one of the most familiar passages in Hebrews. We try to do this every week. We want to go forward. You know Hebrews 12. The, the writer says in Hebrews 12, 2, right? Run the race that is marked out for you, right? Keeping your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know that verse? All right, so today we're going to begin to look at what it means to run that race empowered by grace and to truly have faith. And I want to begin with an illustration. You see this picture up here? It is used by permission. My wife and I were excited on Valentine's Day 23 years ago we got engaged. All right, yeah. I would hope that that would generate some more excitement. That, that sounded, your reaction sounded like you felt sorry for Lisa. I was like, oh, that wasn't like a, a cute, like baptism. That was like, oh, that hurts. She's been married. I got 23 years. I can take it. I can take it. Yeah. Well, look, we learned early on, Lisa is a runner and I'm not. Um, and if anyone in here, you want to you want a running partner, uh, then my wife is a great running partner. I am not, okay? Uh, but this is a picture of Lisa finishing a race. It was a 50-mile race that Lisa trained for, she prepared for, and all throughout the race, you see a picture of two of our four kids, uh, we went alongside of her. Uh, for 23 of those miles, I rode a bicycle because I don't run. I try to run sometimes, but I'm not real good at it. My son Tucker ran, my daughter Cora ran, and together, all of us, this picture didn't include all of our kids, we have four, uh, but all of us finished a race together. Now, Lisa could finish 50 miles because she trained, she endured, she loves it but also she could do it because she had her family around her the whole time trying to encourage her, trying to empower her, trying to give her energy, trying to help her accomplish the goal. You can see the shirt that one of my kids made that's an avocado on it because on the back it all said the pit crew, all right? And you'll also notice you can't really see the balloon in the background. One of my, my kids thought it would be funny that when she finished her race, if she had a balloon that said get well soon, right? Yeah. So... 
Here's the deal. This idea of enduring together in our belief. You can change that picture now. I'm getting in trouble. It's going to be out there too long. We believe in the temptation for the early Hebrew church, the Hebrew Christians, was to turn back to what was familiar, to lose their faith, to not endure. And the author uses the wilderness generation to compel the early church and even the church today that the way forward is not to look back and to be like how we once were, to turn to the gods we once served, to find strength in people in places that we can see more than our Savior who promises to be with us, who has saved us and redeemed us. You see, the Christian faith gives more power for life than any other thing in the world. And the original audience would be very familiar with a psalm that the writer uses in Psalm 95. It was actually a psalm that was sung at the beginning of every Sabbath. And they would know, we're going to look at this passage, exactly what it's referring to. A people that had been redeemed from slavery in Egypt, they had been rescued and freed. And they had had the, the power of God display in the Passover, the presence of God with them in a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day, they had seen the provision of God all through the wilderness, quail, manna, Red Sea, and they had a promise from God that they were going to go to the promised land. But they forfeited all of those realities because their circumstances were difficult. And they got hard hearts and they stopped believing. And so today's passage is going to compel us to consider this gospel path of perseverance that not only pushes us primarily to the work of Christ, but calls us to press in to run this race together, fully trusting in the Lord and his promises that we might not disengage, that we might not be discouraged, that we might not be dispelled in our faith and grumble in our circumstances, but that we might groan, but see glory, that we might engage and lean into the people and the promises of God and trust the person of Jesus Christ and his work more than anything that we see. We can press in to the promises and the people of God to persevere. So we're going to see three quick points, but before we do unpack the word of the Lord, can you go to the Lord of the word with me in prayer? Can we pray? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, that empowers us and calls us to run the race that you've marked out for us. This morning, I ask, Lord, that you give us ears to hear and give us eyes to see. And we don't want to just be inspired, Lord, but truly transformed, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do we persevere? Entering into the promise of God's rest and finding power in his presence and in his provision through the Passover, the ultimate Passover, Jesus Christ. First, this is what we see clearly in verses 7 to 11. Today, hear his voice with an open heart. Open your heart. How do we open our hearts? We acknowledge that the word we read and study is from God himself. Look at the beginning of verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy 
Spirit says. The Holy Spirit is responsible for writing scripture. God's spirit is the spirit of truth and the standard of revelation is the word of God. There's a lot of modern day prophets who want to tell you what you need to expect and tell you what's coming. A lot of dispensationalists that are in fact dangerous when they're outside of the revealed word of God. The spirit is a spirit of truth and it's always a standard for us. Always. And we look back, not only the author of Hebrews uses Psalm 95, but the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 6, compels us as Christians to look back at the Old Testament, God's word, as an example for us that we might learn and grow. Psalm 95, 7 to 11 is the a, is a second part of the psalm. We did the first part of the psalm in our call to worship this morning, and it affirms not only the inspiration of, the, of God's word written by his spirit, but it also something we're going to study in a couple weeks that I'm excited about in Hebrews chapter 4, that God's word is living and active. And the same word that was a song in the form of worship in Psalm 95, calling God's people to worship uh, before Christ came in the synagogues every week, it's the same word that he wants to speak to you today. Are you open to God's word? I hope so. Because the second thing we see is that God's word wants to offer you rest. God wants to give you rest. Now, where do we find rest in a world that just seems to weary us around every turn? We find rest in the presence of God, the promises of God, the ultimate Passover of Christ, the Passover lamb who died for us, his power and his promises revealed in his word. You see, the original audience that's described in Hebrew and in, in Exodus, the wilderness generation, they all experienced something together. You know what it was? They were all redeemed. All of them were rescued. All of them saw the unbelievable saving work of God by tumbling, crumbling the most powerful empire in the world. All of them went to the wilderness and saw the pillar of fire. All of them went to the Red Sea, thought they were going to die and were rescued. All of them were hungry and asked for food and they got manna and quail. All of them did. But you know what? Of the 1.2 million people who came out of Egypt in the Exodus, only two over the age made it to the promised land. Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because everyone else, says God's word, got hard hearts. They started strong, but they couldn't finish. They walked out and experienced the redemption of God, but their circumstances became too much. They grumbled. They became disengaged. They stopped believing the power of God. They stopped trusting the promises of God. They completely disregarded the presence of God with them. And their hearts were hardened by their circumstances. Now look, we can either rebel or find rest. This description in verse 8, if your Bibles are open, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. This is not a description of Star Wars. This is a description of people who are in difficult circumstances, wilderness wanderings, and they do the exact opposite of what God invites them to do by their grace. 
or we can enter into rest. This repeated word all throughout this passage that God wants to give us rest. Verse 11, they shall not enter my rest, those who didn't believe. We enter rest by actually, despite the difficulty of our circumstances, leaning into the presence of God, trusting the promises of God, looking and celebrating the provision of God that's found ultimately in the cross of Jesus Christ, but also in all other ways that he provides. All of us, if you're a Christian, we're saved by a greater work than the Passover. We're saved by the work of Jesus Christ. But all of us can identify with these desert wanderings of life that can tempt us to have a hard heart, rebellious hearts that are fueled by unbelief, right? We can grumble in our circumstances as if God is entitled to give us something better. We can murmur and mumble in our marriages and be dissatisfied and frustrated or We can be disillusioned by relationships, disappointed that we don't have a Valentine's date, frustrated in our friendships, worried about work. All of these things can wear us down and they lead to a hardening of our hearts that begins to demand from God, give me more, you haven't done enough, rather than to delight in God and say that despite my circumstances, I will trust in you and enter into the rest that you offer. Here's the truth. We can know whether or not we have a hard heart and unbelieving heart through a simple diagnostic. Ask yourself, are you a grumbler? Like Exodus 17, which this passage goes back to, or are are you a grateful woman and man? Is your work more important to you that you focus on the work of things of this world of governments and economies and countries? Or do you trust more in the work of God? The work of God that is seen in Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, the fact that he's on the throne and he promises, behold, I am making all things new. Even in my loss, I'm making all things new. Even in my fears, I'm making all things new. Even in my wants, I'm making all things new. Even in my pain, I'm making all things new. Even in my loneliness, I'm making all things new. Do you believe? Is God's work enough? What about your words that form your life? Are you more informed by headlines? Are you more formed by people's opinions or the word of God and his promises? You know, the wilderness generation, they made it to the the border of Jericho, but the headline, you know what it said? These people are too big. We cannot take the promised land. That's what the headline said. 10 out of 12 of the spies agree. These people are going to kick our butts. In the world, all the Israelites, they saw those headlines. They're like, oh, we can't trust God's promises. We can't trust this. But there were two, Joshua and Caleb, who said, you know what, I'm gonna choose to trust the headlines of heaven and I'm gonna hope in the Lord. And a lot of people didn't believe. They perished. They didn't enter into the rest because they didn't trust. In your life is fear, 
greater than faith in God's promises, his presence in our troubles? Here's a question. Are we going to rebel or are we going to rest? Rest. It's the invitation. And you know, you can't do it on your own. You have to surrender to God's love and grace, but you also, you need people in your life. Look at verse 12. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you an, un, an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living, living God. You see, the passages in Hebrews, there's five warning passages that run through Hebrews. This is the second. And they are not intended to discourage men and women who are wrestling. If you're wrestling with your heart, trying to hope, trying to trust the headlines of heaven, trying to rejoice and have peace in the presence, the power, the promises of God, his finished work in Jesus Christ, the ultimate Passover lamb, that's good. If you're not wrestling, it's an opportunity for all of us to examine our hearts because we are called, compelled to take care that we don't have an unbelieving heart. You see, to take care is to stay in the gospel. It's to prepare for the race. It's to trust the word of God, to be in prayer, to prioritize fellowship that the mission of God would be our primary purpose, that service for God would be our primary call in life, that the people of God are our primary community and faith in God, that's our primary identity. That is how we take care, lest we have an unbelieving heart. But also, we're called to show care so we can connect and confront. Look at this word in verse 13 but exhort one another as long as it is still day. The word there, exhort, it's the word that Jesus uses in John chapter 14, and specifically verse 16. When he describes the Holy Spirit, he describes the Holy Spirit as our paraclete. Para alongside, clete, paraclete, one who exhorts, encourages, comforts, as if someone is running a race, and has people that are with them, a larger Christian family that is saying, don't stop believing. They should make an 80s song out of that. Don't stop believing. Oh. I mean, everybody's telling me, they're like, dude, you're like two decades behind reality. And then they're like, you're also really bad at math because it's been four decades. Anyway, all right. I'm glad that's funny to you. Oh, he can't do numbers. <laughs> all right, just kidding. But that paraclete is to have people that encourage you. It's to, for you to encourage other. How do you encourage other? The same way that you prepare for the race. The person that's prepared, you're saturating yourself in the gospel. The person who is a paraclete, an encourager, you gospel other people. You remind them of the finished work of God, the security we have in his love. You share his word. You pray with and for people. You have fellowship. You participate in the same mission. You prioritize the same family. We are God's body. And we see this all through scripture. This care for one another, that we could comfort each other and connect so that we can confront. That's what Paul does in Galatians chapter two. It says that he rebuked Peter to his face. It's normal in the church. And I have friends that re rebuke me in love all the time. Most notably, a, a guy I grew up with named Chase Whitmire. I love telling this story. But I was new, new, new in my faith. 
And I was making all kinds of decisions that were hardening my heart, going back to old gods, old ways, old habits, living out of an old identity. And my friend Chase, we were driving home one day. His dad had this awesome Mustang convertible. And we would put the top down and Chase would drive us home. I'll never forget going around this curve. We're talking about it. And he just said, more. That's my last name. He said, more. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? You're killing yourself and you're hurting others. And I look back at that with gratitude because I have somebody who loves me enough to look at me and say, what are you doing? You're hardening your heart. God wants you to enter rest. Don't rebel. Don't go the opposite way. Go to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. You see, I need you. You need me. We need the body. We're a family that encourages one another to finish the race. And finally, the last point, what does it look like for us to do this? The, the last four verses are given in three different couples of six questions total. So two questions, a question and an answer with a question, and they focus on four points of application. Real quick, first, remember your redemption. You see, it is verse 16. It couldn't be more clear. Who were those that heard and rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? The people who rebelled and didn't find rest were the people who forgot their redemption. They abandoned the, the, the gift of grace that God gave them. And we feast on God's grace. To remember our redemption is to feast on the faithfulness of God, that knowing in Christ and in our, in our poverty, we can taste the riches of his grace. That in our death, we can face we can feast on his life. That in our unrighteousness, we can feast on his righteousness. That he took our sin and gave us his righteousness. We remember our redemption. Secondly, I want to challenge you to embrace your wilderness. Embrace your wilderness. A second set of questions. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? You see, when we don't embrace our wilderness... When we fight the seasons where God has us in and we try to grab that which our heart hopes for, it, we forfeit God's rest. To embrace your wilderness, and, and, and I, I talk with people all the time about this reality. When we embrace our wilderness, we understand that life is lived in seasons. There are very dry seasons there are very difficult seasons, but in good seasons, we sink our roots deep into the soil of our salvation so that in difficult and dry seasons, we're not disengaged and discouraged, but we can still bear fruit, Psalm 1. And to embrace your wilderness is to acknowledge that you don't have control, but you know a God who does. To embrace your wilderness is to say, I don't know the answers, but I know the one that's a solution. To embrace your wilderness is to say, I don't have that which I need to make it through this circumstance, but I trust the one who promises to give it to me. To embrace your wilderness is to not to define your reality by your difficult circumstances, but to feast on the faithfulness of God who promises to be with you in all circumstances, who promises to be redeeming and restoring and making all things new, that he is using your circumstances in Christ for your good and his glory. 
To embrace your wilderness is to look upon a season of fruitful harvest in your future when you trust the Lord. Thirdly, we rest and we don't rebel. Verse 17 makes this clear, uh, but I will just say simply this, that we rest in God's provision. His promise that he won't leave us or forsake us. That what Jesus says in John 10, that no one can take us from the Father's hand. We're secure in his love. In Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus, Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. We rest in God's finished work. We rest in God's sovereign grace. We rest and not rebel. That is, we obey and we engage. How? Finally, verse 19, and our final thing that's an application here, that we believe. We see that they were unable to enter the rest because of unbelief. Today, God's grace invites you to believe, to believe that God is bigger, that God is with you, to believe that his work is enough to forgive you, that his sovereignty is enough to take your most difficult and shameful circumstances and transform them for his glory, to believe that there is rest in obeying him, to believe that's the invitation of grace. That's the ground I stand on and I invite you to join me. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we believe. Will you help us with our unbelief? For those who don't believe in your ultimate Passover through the blood, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, would you draw them to yourself by the Spirit? Lord, for those of us who do believe, we pray that you would empower us with your Spirit. Help us to truly believe. Help us with our unbelief, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.